0: Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're going to talk about nine different kind of modes that you can build around your SaaS company or your product in order to be more sticky for your customers. Enjoy.
1: Quite important to remember that. So we are back in the Japanese nightclub yeah it's um
0: it's monday morning yeah. we spent all weekend here and only now we're hitting record yeah but also we're we're down we're down a guy bart, yeah. is, bart is on vacation he's off lazy jesus lazy.
1: and he was like but i will be available maybe the first week." i go be off go be off don't don't try and be a good boss Michael. No. <laughs> okay i was like okay, okay i'll slack you yeah. let's book <laughs> <get> a <poker laughs> <Yeah>. meeting <laughs> no, no 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 that's cool I mean, today we have a bit of a listicle in front of us. Yeah. We're going to talk about moats. Moats today. Not everyone knows
0: what a moat is, by the way, who is not English as a first language, which included myself, obviously. Really? So when you think about a medieval castle, they sometimes have this this river thing around them, (laughs) right? That's filled (laughs) with water. And then they have this drawbridge that they kind of have in order to cross it. Yeah. So this water thing around the castle, it's called a moat. Yeah. And and the is in a SAS world is, you know, it's it's not impossible to jump over and scale it and then, you know, go into the castle, but it's quite it's difficult. It's pretty difficult. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah <it's laughs> pretty. Also, you have people on the wall shooting at you while yeah, yeah. you're trying
0: to get over and so, if you can't swim, you know. So and that's the idea. Like the... Uh, and then sometimes people refer to bigger versus smaller modes. Yeah. Right? If you just have like a little of a tickle, kind <laughs> of, you know, go around your <laughs> castle. It's like I'll people just put can, on boots. They just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Salt. And then there are modes that are really deep and wide, and you kind of, you know, you basically need to swim
1: through. and, yeah. You know. Uh, so it's a competitive advantage. It's a competitive advantage for sure. Don't and make it's,
0: it so, so scientific all, all of a sudden. God. We were talking about boots and swimming and all of that good stuff. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, uh, Porter's Five Force is next here. Uh,
1: with the German accent, I love it. Yeah. Um, no, but it is. I mean, it's an advantage you can preserve. At the end of the day, yeah. that's, that's what it is. And I was literally thinking, you know, you look at these massive unicorns out there. Been around for a while now. It's, you know, been some time since uh, Salesforce got going and they're still here. They're still growing, even though there's so much innovation happening and there's a reason for it. O- obviously, you know, they have a ton of customers that that are hard to replace, but they have a moat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was one of those things. Often you get stuck in conversation around tactics. How do we just acquire more customers or keep a few more versus taking a more long term, you know, strategic professor view. Yeah. And uh and actually build an advantage. Which no, is and
0: many, many VCs are gonna ask you that as you know, if you're a founder listening, kind of many VCs will ask you like, well, what's your mode? Mm. Um but also more more tactically for for the CRO types listening, it's more of a uh how do you keep your retention rates up? Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is this is also a mo- this is what mode breaks down to in the end. It's like, well are those customers sticking with you or not, yeah. right? And, uh, and let's let's talk about that today.
1: So we have nine we're going to step through in probably 25, 30 minutes. So we better get to it, Yeah, actually. Let's uh, start with the first one, Mikkel. Maybe you take this one, lock in. So lock in. Actually, so it's funny. We started with Salesforce. Yeah. Right. It's once you have that set up with a pretty decent size sales team, let's say you have, I don't know, 60 AEs and maybe 100 SDRs. That's a lot of folks using that daily. If you've also built workflows into it, then you start to get to a point where you're pretty pretty locked in. Actually, switching becomes a bit more difficult for you with all that data and all those processes you have set up, right? Yeah. Um, and that is certainly a competitive advantage, also one for many companies, at least that you can build.
0: So absolutely. So when when uh, I used to negotiate Salesforce contracts, um, <laughs> we we realized we re- Why are I laughing F- about favorite subjects. Yeah. <laughs> Um, (laughs) we realized that basically in order to apply any pressure on Salesforce Mm. um, in terms of getting a better deal or locking in the renewal and, you know, favorable kind of rates, the only way you could do it is you had to start this process a year early. Yeah. Because they just knew. They fucking know, right? (laughs) If you are there 90 days, 60 days before the renewal period is up, they know that you have no chance in hell to pull the plug realistically. Yeah. It's just not going to happen, yeah. right? Uh, but a year early, you do have a chance actually, right? And it's not about downloading the data and having an Excel spreadsheet or something like that. Yeah. It's You need to buy the other vendor first. You need to kind of be fairly deep in those conversations. Um, then you need to start, you know, thinking, okay, how do you actually do the transition? You need to kind of get all the buy-in going from all the VPs and all the blah, right? Um, and all of that... And maybe it's somewhere down in the list, but all that sunk cost yeah. of you know, and this is for the Revols folks of this beautiful Apex code that you built and wrote and 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 using all of that is kind of basically going away, right? Yeah. So in order to build all of that back up on a different platform, you need to have some time, and that's basically what what we're referring to here is in you know the lock in of the usage and you know all the bi- different folks. It's going to be really difficult to rip this out, yeah. right? And um, uh, and that's what Salesforce has been just uh, extremely good at.
1: And I mean, even if there is a vendor that provide you know, a marginal net gain mm. uh, and have has a leg up on Salesforce, you're still going to look at the implementation plan and go, yeah, that's, you know, we could be doing something else with that time. And so you, you end up being locked in.
0: No, and it's, I mean, this is actually going to uh, almost kind of uh, one of the other pieces here on this list is... Mm. Is generally speaking, complex um, implementations. Yeah, and uh, what I've seen is almost a reverse thing that happens to a degree. It's um, you know, in in the mid market or in the SMB, if you asked for payment for the implementation, if you're pricing it, yeah, it's it's a detractor, right? Yeah. People don't want to like, ah, oh, I don't want to pay for this integration; I just want to have it. When can I, why can't I be going tomorrow? Yeah, if you're in the enterprise. In many cases, charging for the implementation is actually a good thing. Uh, and the reason it's a good thing for them is that it's almost some kind of a insurance policy that this thing will be rolled out. Yeah. Or it's it's going to get rolled out. So one of the biggest risks that, you know, your purchase or your buyer might fear, uh, might have, is, hey, you know, maybe this is a dud. It's not going to work out. We're not going to get any adoption. It's not mm. going to happen by paying you fifty dollars or $100,000, which is not an unusual fee for implementation, that that you ba- they basically buy a risk insurance or yeah. kind of insurance policy, right? So this is actually what they want to do. And then what this then means uh, in, in turn, basically, is this money will be lost for sure, right? You spent that amount of money on the implementation. You could have done it internally as well, but then you wouldn't have a, a dollar amount attached to it because you gave it to... A vendor, there's now a dollar amount of 100,000 dollars attached to it. And if you now wanted to change that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's $100,000 sunk costs that are for sure gone. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you, know, whether you do it internal, or external, complex implementation is just, you know, then he used another 100,000 internally as well to get it yeah. going and so forth, right? So while it is a barrier to entry, at the same time, it's also a barrier to exit and a yeah. barrier to entry to someone else. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's, um, you know, it, it's probably going to slow down your sales motion for sure. And, you know, we're not recommending that, you know, to take that path. But if you have taken that path or some of your
1: competitors have taken that path, yeah. it's going to be difficult to rip people away from them. I think it's also a key point, right? If you're, uh, let's say you're in the BI space, look at a company like Looker. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get to value. And that's where you know I totally get that there's an investment in either consultants or that type of setup because then you ensure you actually get the value in the first place, yeah. right. And I think there are some considerations there you need to take as a business.'ll okay.
0: I'll grab a next one. Um, so and this is very closely tied to the implementation piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it's it's the whole topic around integrations. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we would call it like embedding, yeah. uh, to a degree in the ecosystem. But if you have a piece of software that is not only pulling information from somewhere, but ideally pushing information to somewhere, then you're starting to be, um, you know, a little bit more entrenched and embedded in the ecosystem of that organization. And the reason why that matters, especially the pushing of information, is that that might appear on a dashboard or in a spreadsheet of someone Mm. that you don't have a clue that exists. Yeah. And suddenly, you have people uh, that have a stake in you as a software staying, because they need that cell populated every yeah. Monday at 9 a.m. with the newest number. Yeah, and you know, if you're pushing out information, making it easy to consume, you know, using APIs or whatever, easy consume that information, mm. then it actually um, you, you're you're embedding yourself, entrenching yourself uh, in different areas of the organization. That then will simply rely on that number being there, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is kind of a really nice situation to be. You won't, you know what? You won't see it on the usage stats. You don't, you won't see it on your weekly active users or anywhere else. Yeah. It's not going to show up any NPS. They're not going to leave a G two review. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Yeah, but it will be there. Uh, and if that number suddenly disappears, right? If that Excel spreadsheet suddenly says N A, yeah, oh, <laughs> you will have, That's... you know. That, that will cause a ruckus uh, inside of those organizations.
1: I think it's also, th- there's going to be someone sitting there being responsible. It's like, do I want to put my job at risk, potentially breaking things I don't know exist yeah. to get the exact same piece of software in that does the same thing? as like, actually, no. <laughs> so this is so funny.
0: So um, I thought we were using this term only internally. So we had a marketo instance, which yeah. we, we, it's very Thuley. Yeah. But uh, we had a Marketo instance, and um, yeah, I mean, this was, this was with you, Mikkel, yeah, back in it the was, day. Yeah, um, And we were basically referring to the Marketo instance as a pile of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not build it. I did not and, build it. And basically, um, the team was like, well, you know, if you pull on one spaghetti here, something yeah. else is going to break over there, and we just don't know. It's like, it's a whole knot of things, yeah. and we don't know the what's going on. The people built
1: it and left also. Yes. So.
0: But it was three generations of people building and leaving, yeah. um, and we basically were left with either nuking it or, or you know, trying to fix it. Yeah. I think we ended up nuking it. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. But if if you think about, if you think about, if um, if your tool, you know, maybe it shouldn't be the part of spaghetti, obviously. But if your tool is so complex and entrenched, it's going to be really difficult to just you know, you know, pull you out of this.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the other piece is also just taking it back to the business considerations is. You know, you have to look strategically at, can you build an ecosystem around integration? Yeah. And can you build the tactics to get customers to actually yeah. use that? Then you can start playing with an embedded strategy. Yeah. Um, boom. Um, going to, let
0: us call it the Figma example, um, which is basically expand usage. Mm. Yeah. So not sure how many people know this, but Figma is a tool exclusively, well, originally exclusively for designers. Yeah. So pr- I would say product designers predominantly,
1: I don't know actually I think know, no, I think in general, like Adobe I mean the deal is going south by the looks of it, oh, but right. uh, you know, they're buying them for ten billion, yeah, so it could be something there because it will complement and obviously also protect, no, it was, but anyway. it
0: was basically competitive to do I think Adobe Creative Suite or something like yeah. that, right, and I think basically Figma is a tool for designers to do their design, yeah. right. So that's what they started out with, hey, an easier, cheaper Adobe Creative Studio because that's super expensive. I'm not sure if it's actually called Creative Studio. But whoever isn't in design knows exactly what I'm talking about and gets it. And
1: please write Tony, correct him so he (laughs) can learn. (laughs) Yes.
0: And what they did uh, pretty successfully is they started out with um, the design user. I mean, obviously, right? But through design, they got themselves pushed into more and more different teams. Mm. Right. So I'm I'm, you know, I'm the CEO here. Yeah. Guess what? I have a Figma seat and I actually use it quite a lot. Yeah. Right. So I, I want to see the newest prototypes of the team. I leave comments. I, you know, sometimes I use it for investor demos and yeah, so forth, yeah. right? I show them that stuff. And um and basically Figma became much more than just a designer tool, it became a you know, everyone who's even remotely interested in this, yeah, yeah, started to have a seat, started to understand this, you know, move around and so forth. And guess what? You know, all of those designers, they themselves are even to a degree locked in now. Yeah. They can't just go somewhere else because like the whole, the rest of the organization is relying on that piece of software right now because they understand that, right? Yeah, yeah. So kind of all of those, those costs of understanding that piece of software have been paid now. Um, and it's really difficult therefore kind of to push it uh, and to, to pull it out.
1: I think it's also a case of, can you actually add more value for all the users you have by bringing in another department? On their account Mm -hmm. right that's that's the superpower and i think uh, a company that does this extremely well too is asana yeah obviously with the plg motion and then builds up an account usually in one department and then it's way easier for them to start building in the next you know the next department and even i noticed they they started moving up to the the c level with you know management metrics and okrs Mm -hmm. and strategic initiatives and stuff like that so i think
0: what asana is doing in general um i see this uh, more and more companies doing they Yes, they have a bit of a PLG motion and they get people to pay something. Yeah. Um, similar to SEM rush, so SEMrush. Um, and what actually happens is this is really only just their account pool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So an account pool in you know normal languages, you have a list in Salesforce with all the accounts that you want to sell to, and then you call into them, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But what those companies are doing, those uh and and there are plenty more examples. I think GitLab is doing the same thing. Um, they basically kind of get organizations in through their um, uh super low tiered kind of pricing whatever tier whatever mm. they do and then they have an army of salespeople attacking only people that are already customers yeah and uh, they themselves even don't refer it as you know it's not account management or anything like that that is sales this yeah. is you know straightforward fucking sales what they're doing there um and then it, it's much cheaper right you already yeah. have someone that has a relationship with this you you're so much more likely to pick up the phone when it says, you know, a company that you're already a customer yeah. of, and then they're working themselves into those organizations, right? Yeah. So it's, um, not sure why I'm talking about this right now. It's a bit of a tangent kind of situation, but basically but kind of that is a way to, uh, to get also to that, I know, higher usage, right? Yeah. Asana was maybe bought by, I mean, it's always the the freaking marketing team that buys Asana. I yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, then you have this whole fight of you know which project management tool to use in the organization. Yeah. Because everyone has their own little project management tool.
1: But I think there's two there, there's two key takeaways, right? There's two things that needs to ha- needs to happen here. If you go for a new department, you also need to realize it's a new use case. Yeah. They might need new stuff that has to be put on the roadmap. And Then you also need to look at your motion, right? Mm. Uh, whether you run PLG like Asana or whatever in this scenario, can you run a sales motion on top to bring in that mm. other team? Like new new elements needs to be put in place, but ultimately it will build uh, a mode for your business. I, th- I think
0: you're right. I think what's being underappreciated here by you know just expand usage. Yeah, it's easy. It's just... really it's it's very similar to a new segment, a new market, yeah. a new whatever. This is a new department, and a new department comes with its own new product market fit issues. Yeah. You know, why would they buy it? For much? How much do they want to buy it? You know, why would they use it, etc. All of these things would then need to be obviously um, and it's also figured out.
1: back back to the project management example, right? If you have two departments, let's just say marketing and product, and there's a vendor specialized in marketing trying to displace that department, it's not going to happen because you have two departments on there that gain benefits from both being there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so
0: let's. Let's go into the next one, which is um, ecosystem, yeah? and mm. this now in the in the in the wider sense, not of ecosystem inside of an organization, uh, but but basically kind of the partnership landscape. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some some really powerful ones, and let's kind of you know see uh, see where kind of that leads us. So at least one really powerful is is HubSpot here. Yeah. Uh, they have forty percent of their revenues. I'm not sure if it's new biz only or not. Uh, basically comes from their partnership ecosystem. Yeah. And um, a large, large amount of the partnership ecosystem is actually almost you know grassroots kind of stuff. It's it's marketing agencies. Yeah, It's small agencies that specialize in marketing services. And then, hey, you really need HubSpot to do this. Mm. Or it's services that are um, basically implementation rollout partners that then say, well, you could go for Salesforce or HubSpot, but you should really go for HubSpot. <laughs> <laughs> So they've 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 achieved to build a massive army of folks that are selling their services yeah. that are not on their payroll. Yeah. You know, aka a partnership team and some of those teams have made it their whole purpose. Yeah. yeah. It's only about HubSpot, right? And I think HubSpot does extremely well super early in the days. So I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but they basically had a it's almost a an e-commerce like shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you could, based on your location, find HubSpot partners that could help you with certain things. Yeah. Then they had different certificates for those HubSpot partners, you know, yeah. platinum, silver, gold, wood, whatever. <laughs> and uh, and then I think for each of them, they had their own landing page, which was obviously indexed. Yeah. So whenever anyone was uh, looking for that agency, uh, basically agency plus HubSpot came up as almost yeah. the first hit sometimes because of the... The massive, uh, do, you know, what is it, domain? Yeah, ranking of ranking of mm. of uh, HubSpot itself, right? Yeah. Uh So massive play, massive uh, exposure, and so forth. Um, and and it was great also for those agencies because they then basically started getting inbounds through that channel. Yeah. And then suddenly HubSpot was uh, suddenly a lead gen for yeah. them. Yeah. And so what do you do with a, a free quote unquote Legion channel that really works for you? While well, you keep building it out, you get those certificates, you make sure that this one page is awesome for you. You have some reviews in there,
1: you have five stars ranking and so mm-hmm. forth, um, which then further- And maybe further even pay kind of money build this out. sometimes. Right, yeah. and some of those exchanges, I, I believe Salesforce, they might be charging in some cases. You know, for the for bit. the app exchange, I mean? Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, I think the other piece also, if you look at someone like Shopify, they mm. also build a massive business with this exact the same uh, approach. They have vendors who only build yeah. software for Shopify. Basically, you have a developing team. No, team I think they. I think there are now companies that
0: when public or like billion dollar value. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, only. Only basically building on top I think of. Shopify. Was a Clavio? Yeah, no, I, I think Clavio is like uh, they might do we'll other fact things check as well, <laughs> well. fact check it. <laughs> you know, hey, alternative fact doesn't matter. Uh, um, and this is this is pretty nuts when you think about this, right? And actually, one one little tidbit here: I think Shopify has only been cashing in on uh, on that for the last two or three years or something. Probably, so. yeah. They basically kind of build up a you know a massive incentive for people to build on top of their platform and only recently they started charging for this Yeah, yeah.
1: so uh, uh, massively well played good good luck competing with them building out you know ecosystem of 10,000 partners or something (laughs) it's gonna be an uphill that's right it's not gonna be enough to wear boots
0: let's do um, uh, a boring one (laughs) (laughs) why are you laughing about this
1: I'm just wondering which one are you gonna pick now
0: Uh, enterprise oh okay good so um, a, a boring one can also be purely based on um, that you come with the features that a specific segment really needs. Yeah. Uh, despite them hating you, you know. Otherwise, <laughs> they cannot switch away because all of your shitty competitors—they don't have SOC one type two. Yeah. They don't have uh, two-factor authentication. They don't have the right. Um, GDPR stuff in place, they don't have the right disaster recovery, yeah. they don't have the right infosec, they don't have the right boring stuff in yeah. place. Um, and especially if uh, the buying decision sits with someone that really cares about this, like IT and so forth, they will just, yeah, you know what, uh, everyone hates it. It does work <laughs> though. The buttons are there. You can theoretically do it. and um, but the real reason we don't want to, you know, jump away is like, oh, you know, this checkbox is missing, yeah, yeah, um, on the on the on the sock two form from this other cool vendor. So uh, no, sorry, we can't. Yeah, and that is kind of a type of 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 mode that is fairly difficult to just build up over time, right? Obviously, you can get a SOC two certification of. Obviously, you can get, you know, an uh, what is it, an ISO 27K, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you can get all of these things, but I'm telling you. It's gonna take a long time. Yeah. So you're talking upwards of a year to actually have the certificate in place, right? Yeah. Kind of. If you start today, it's gonna take you six to twelve months to get the certificate, um, and uh, it's gonna be you know substantial investments on your side. Yeah. If you need someone to run this project on your side, and this is not just a project manager. This is like an infosec professional that knows how to do that. Yeah. You might need some additional consultants, and much even worse you might need to change things in your organization in order to comply. Yeah. So depending on the size and the setup and stuff, suddenly you need to have key cards everywhere. You need to have different, you know, approval processes. You need to have a different security setup on your R&D side. You need Mm. to have different... Every time your team wants to hit, you know, the release button, they need to jump through a series of hoops. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before they're allowed to do it, because basically kind of all of those, you know, and that makes sense. It's yeah. quality assurance and security assurance, kind of all of those different steps. All of this makes sense. But only a few companies that know exactly what they're doing for whom, because yeah. they're so old, because they know whom they're selling to, can afford this delay. If you want to, you know, iterate and be yeah. fast and all of that stuff, it's that delay is just going to kill you. I huh? also,
1: I heard a, a fun bit from Jason Limkin and he was like, well, imagine that RFP you get, where you usually have a lot of no's, especially when it comes to security and all that yeah. stuff. Imagine if all of them were a yes, right? Yeah. That's actually the scenario. And it's, again, this is a, a strategic commitment as a business, right, that you can make that, you know, if someone tries to enter your territory, it's going to take them quite a bit of time. You're going to see them coming. So on, on the
0: new biz side, kind of this whole, um, you know, this information security stuff. So the way those those folks on the privacy infosec side on the purchasing side actually operate is they have a, you know, a 30 page questionnaire Mm. and it always starts with, do you have SOC 2? Yes or no. Yeah. Do you have ISO 27K? Yes or no. Are you in the process of getting it? Yes or no. If you, if you check yes on one of the first things, it then says skip all the other 40 pages. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the thing is, uh, the thing is,
0: if um this this purchasing person, you know, what would make their lives easier? Yeah, yeah. Do you think they enjoy going through all the fucking 40 pages no. afterwards? They just want to see the, you know, they they pray to God that one of those check marks are there. Uh, and if it is <laughs> It's like, whew, yes, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's buy this, let's buy this software please right yeah. now. Um, and I know about, uh, you know, some infosec professionals that basically when RevOps comes around the corner, wants to buy a cool new tool, they first of all, like, Oh, Oh, and then they go on the website, they furiously scan for the, you know, ISO, uh, certificate or the SOC2 certificate. If they do find it, they're like, Phew, okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, maybe we can do this. So it's, it's it not only it's not yeah. only lock in, but it's also on the you know uh, the the new buying side where this is extremely helpful.
1: Yes, Do you know what? Why don't you talk about brand? That was one that I thought you were going to say boring. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, so we've we've talked with a few folks here actually about brand. Udi uh, Ledergaard from Gong mm-hmm. was one. He talked a bit about the power of how it can shorten your sales cycles effectively, right? He literally had a was the VP sales or the CRO. Uh, after they did the um, the NFL, yeah, the Super Bowl ad, saying, you know, the perception of us has fundamentally changed. And yeah. we can just feel it in every conversation. And I think that is in part the power of brand, that you have a reputation that perceives you. Uh, and imagine a scenario where you enter into a sales conversation and the person on the other side immediately trusts you, even before you enter the call. Mm. That is a massive power. And so this is a mode um, that is pretty difficult to replicate Uh, You can't just go out and, you know, with SOC 2, you can start the process and get there, right? With brand, it's a little bit more elusive, actually, right? And there's a reason why you're seeing folks like uh, Mark Benioff and Elon Musk very, you know, I think intently have built their personal brand, and it becomes a mode for a lot of the businesses. Mm -hmm. We talked about Ryan Reynolds Mm -hmm. leveraging his personal brand to build up businesses as well, right? So I think it's just to say there is a business case here. It is Really hard to imitate. Sure, companies can build up a brand, but fundamentally it has to be different from yours as well.
0: Yeah. So it's 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 one of those assets that's hard to imitate and replicate, right? So that's where brand obviously kind of works out well. It has impact on the um on the sales cycles yeah. piece, right? That you just mentioned. There's also something around people are lazy. <laughs> yeah. They wanna they don't wanna go through the 10 options. They wanna, you know, the winner, maybe the number two. Yeah. And then it's like, oh boring. Yeah. Um,
1: no, it's and, like, do you get fired? It's the old saying, Do you get fired for buying Salesforce? It's like, yeah. no. And
0: the same, the same on the way out, right? We were, uh, we were considering canceling Gong actually, mm. um, going with one of the competing vendors, and we tried out. Uh, by the way, we did, um, but we're actually pretty happy to go back to cozy yeah. Gong. <laughs> N- not because it's, not because it's like every, you know, everything kind of works out and so forth. There were some rational ways of kind of how we made the decision. But I do feel the whole decision making was a bit tainted by Gong just being the fucking player in this, yeah, in this yeah. field, right? So, and I think um, uh, overall, you know, if you are able to build up a strong brand, kind of Lantis, it's gonna be. This is one of those moats that that other people will just have a really hard time um, figuring out. Yeah, I think the the most straightforward mode, actually um, is really around um, long contracts. Yeah, so basically legally locking people in for multiple years. And the, the, the opposite is, again, it's a little bit like with this uh, easy implementation or complex implementation. It's probably going to be harder to sign this deal to begin with. Yeah. But once someone then is with you three years uh, on a legal basis, and and you know what, don't get me wrong, if you have SMBs that you sell to and, and you do get someone to sign up for two or three years, there's a high likelihood that they just tell you, go go F yourself. <laughs> Uh, I'm not gonna pay this next invoice, <laughs> but if you're talking to a company that's mid-sized, large, or even like really large, yeah, whatever is written in this document, they will they will. Whether or not they use this thing, whether or not they hate you, it doesn't yeah. matter. If the contract says you're bu- you're bound for three years and you haven't actually breached it, they will pay that bill. Yeah. Right. Um, and um, that's that's one of those ways that then also is gonna make it really difficult for the person using it or part of that, you know, potentially different decision-making process to just go out of it. It's like, well, there's no way. I will need to keep paying for this thing for another two years. Yeah, there's yeah. no way around this. Yeah. Um, so despite me hating this a lot, I basically am paying double Yeah. Uh, to kind of get this other thing. And that needs to be a massive benefit for you to, uh, for that for that person to make that jump, right? Yeah. And I think it's going to be difficult to achieve. Uh, so really, just long contract terms. It's um, uh, I think especially in long implementation, um, difficult rip and replace kind of environments. Yeah, I think it makes sense on a uh, in the newbies motion to kind of push for that uh, to simply say that you know listen, we're gonna we're gonna have this implemented in six months. Do you really want to consider then another six months to kind of replace it yeah. and put something else in? That doesn't make any sense. Typically, we see our contracts are three to five years. We know with you guys, let's go maybe only for three. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then
1: I think some of the, the nice guys, quotation marks, they do an out clause for you at that you know early stage, but then it goes. I also heard a cool thing from uh, uh, Dave Kellogg on specifically long-term contracts, which is, you know, do I want to do an annual versus a three-year? It's like, I can roll the dice once every three years or yearly. Yeah, You know, to take that into account as well, that retention side, you still got to deliver the value, obviously, right? For them to renew at year three. Um, but it's just, there, there is upside there. Yeah. Do you want to go for the one that is difficult to explain? <laughs> we'll just edit it out. That's fine. I can, we can do some uh, overtopping or something. That's fine. Uh, economic mode is the other right so literally you having a stronger purchasing power than anyone else in the market that is a massive superpower yeah. think about walmart they use this incredibly well to buy in bulk you know a product that people wanted put it on sale and still earned money on yeah. that right so it's it's really it's really trying to leverage the economies of scale here to a large yes. degree you're the
0: you're the by far the market leader you own 60 70% of the market um, and whatever you're buying, you can buy at a cheaper rate yeah. simply because of, you know, that that massive scale. And you are then able to hand that benefit, that economic benefit, you're able to hand that through to the end user, which is therefore getting the the best deal. Kind of that's yeah. that's the Amazon, that's the Walmart kind of example. Um, I think there's similar cases also in uh, SaaS. And up until previously or recently, there was that same also with heavily funded organizations. Yes. Heavily yeah. funded teams. It's not that they found um, a specific economic benefit that they were handing through. They just could afford to burn so much more cash on each individual acquisition of yeah. a customer versus someone else, right? So this was a an economic mode to a degree, um, and uh, and similarly so they could also afford to play in areas and fight in spaces. Um, that were clearly owned by someone else. Mm. So their win rates were super low. Their efficiency was super low. But they could still play there and make life harder for the other side. Yeah. Uh, you know, push their keg up, push their win rates down. Um, and therefore almost, you know, pressure then someone else into a, into a worse position until they maybe build up momentum in that space as well. Right? Yeah. Some of those tactics, they don't work anymore because it's just too expensive. Uh, you can't do this. Um, and usually, people don't have so much more money laying around on the balance sheet in order to deploy it like this. But that's um, that's one of those economic modes that people yeah. have been able to build up uh, in the past, at least, on the funding side. And then, you know, in the future, also in terms of size and economy of scale.
1: I think it's also the opposite. Will obviously be that you're way more efficient with your costs, right? And and we've talked with um, Pablo Dominguez about, for example, that. So it's it's one of the perceived boring topics. But if you can be way more efficient. In a legal process, and instead of having a team of ten, you can have two. Wow, well, you said you, know? you said
0: efficient legal and process in the same sentence. I know. I, I, I think I'm, everyone fell asleep. I don't.
1: I'm not. I'm also not a marketing person anymore. No, that's right. So that's right. We're not talking about fonts or anything <laughs> or anything anymore. So wonderful. We've talked about. No, I was going to say fonts. Moats. <laughs> we we've talked about moats. First of all, we we told everyone non English
0: speaking what a moat actually is, uh, because that was pretty important. And then we logged, uh, went through like nine different ones. Kind of lock-in, you know, Salesforce does this really well. Uh, embedding yourself with integrations, pushing and pulling data. Maybe have complex implementations in general in order to make it you know harder to join but also harder to leave. Expand usage beyond the initial team that you sold it to in order to be more sticky. Uh, maybe build up an ecosystem of different partners which they then be successful on you know for you and that that creates extreme power uh, building something that we could would call an economic mode really simply having superior purchasing power because of economies of scale that you can hand through no one else can do that build out a set of enterprise features especially SOC to uh, ISO 27k and so forth brand 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 that's itself is like really difficult to replicate and can act and help as a smoothing lock and effect around you and then the last one the most straightforward and you know what screw it just lock them in for three years
1: Caval. <laughs> <laughs> thanks michael thanks tony thanks, thanks everyone for listening. have a good one bye 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 just lock them in for three years